time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, the Extra Innings Podcast is back. Uh, I'm recording this pregame on Tuesday night at T-Mobile Park. It is 6 p.m. I'm going to post this as quick as possible. We're doing it different this week. We had Larry Stone and Adam Jude sitting right next to me doing it. Uh, so I wanted to get that up because we had so many technical difficulties um, with trying to record a podcast when I was on the road. The, the Wi-Fi at this the hotel I was staying at just wasn't good enough to carry our Zoom conversation, so it kept cutting out and it didn't record properly. So my apologies. We tried to make it work and it just didn't. I'd been back in Montana for a funeral uh, earlier in the month because uh, my uncle passed away suddenly. So it was just kind of a rough time to try and get it going. And then we had all the the technical problems. Obviously, like, look, we're kind of just piecing these podcasts together. Um, We just kind of do it on our own as a a labor of love. It's not like uh, the Times is pushing us to do it or gives us anything to, like, make it better. So anyways, um, we did this one. And also what I'm going to do after our conversation with Larry and Adam, I'm going to post the um, audio from Luis Castillo's press conference, which I'm sure you can go back and find. But what I'm actually going to do is also post Jerry Depoto talking to the media privately, or not the media, but like uh, Tim Booth of the AP, myself, Daniel Kramer of MLB, and Curtis Crabtree of Q13. We caught Jerry on the side and talked to him about some stuff. Some of it will be stuff you've heard, like uh, Suarez coming back, which he's back tonight. But just some other stuff about the contract and how it offers protections and stuff like that. So anyways, let's just get uh, done with me talking and start the show. doing the extra innings podcast here at t-mobile park um it's going to be a little different because we're all in the same room with one little mic because this is the technology we have for this so um adam jude is on my right larry stone is on my left larry you need a haircut i'm not gonna lie i need a haircut i think you got some wings going on over there yeah get a haircut my, my wife did my last haircut and there's it's a little scraggly uh, well, I mean, and then when we got, you know, 90210 sitting next to us <laughs> with all the hair and everything, it's, um, yeah, this, I guess people can't see, but Adam has good hair. So um, we are here. It's Tuesday with pregame. Um, we watched AU Juanio Suarez work out. He is back off the IL. But first, we got to get to um, Adam had to cover the weekend series in Kansas City for me. Adam, how was that for you? Uh, <laughs> do we have to talk about that? Yeah, talk about it. <clears throat> I know people really don't care kind of what we do behind the scenes, but for a glimpse behind the scenes, I, I think, Divish, you do a good job of keeping your Twitter followers kind of engaged, right, late in games. Yeah. We have to rewrite. Right, It's about the worst thing in this <laughs> job, right? You feel like you have 90% of a story done. You're ready to go. It's ready to post once the game ends. I was pretty much there after the fifth inning. Uh, Mariners are up. 11-2, uh, one of their best innings of the season there in the fifth inning. 
And so I'm writing my story. I've got a flight to catch from Kansas City after the game. So I'm going to be hustling out of there, feeling great, get some quick reaction out of the clubhouse, pop out of there, right? Wrap up a, a decent weekend for them. Uh, they would have won, I think, three out of four at that point. They were obviously in great position, up 11-2. And then that sixth inning happened. And, man, um, Shannon Dreher was sitting on my right, and I feel like it was the first batter Castillo walked coming out of the inning. I was like, well, that's not what you want out of a long inning. But you can kind of understand it, too, when a pitcher's sitting there for 45 minutes or whatever. You hear them say that all the time, right? They kind of get cold. They lose the feel, all that. But it just unraveled from there. And it, it was interesting to me. That was the first thing Scott Service pointed out after the game was like, hey, we didn't throw strikes. That's what we've done well all year. That you know, we they love to control the slow, control the zone slogan, and the, their pitchers certainly didn't that inning. Four pitchers: Luis Castillo, Matt Festa came in, clearly didn't have it. Matt Brash came in after that, clearly didn't have it. And then Eric Swanson, who's been so nails for this team all year, he didn't have it either. Uh, left a bunch of pitches up, and those young Royals hitters uh, are obviously hungry and eager to prove themselves. They did some damage too, but. It's just kind of one of those innings. Obviously, everything has to go wrong for something like that to happen, or from the Royals' perspective, everything has to go right. Jared Kelnick, I felt like, had a beat on that ball in the gap um, off the bat of Bobby Witt Jr. Wouldn't have been an easy catch on the warning track, but it felt like he had a beat on it. Last second, he had to pull back because he lost it in the sun. Um, blooper over Ty France's head. Um, that falls in. A hard ground ball that France was right there. Bad hop hits him up in the chest. Like, Maybe Gino Suarez makes that play, but it was just sort of a perfect <laughs> storm to end this perfect storm, uh, perfect uh, you know expletive storm for the for the Mariners, uh, you know that road trip. And it was just like, what else can go wrong? And so <laughs> here we are. Scott Service clearly, when we talked to him pregame here on Tuesday, clearly did not want to <laughs> yeah. relive that game. None of them do. Um, they feel like obviously they needed a day off uh, Monday. They got it. Can they come back here refreshed in front of their home crowd and finish this thing off? That's the big question, right? So how long was that inning? If the top of the inning was – top of the fifth was long, wasn't it? Yeah. Or was it the top of the fourth where they had their best inning? It was about 12 hours yeah, yeah. in total. Those two I don't minutes. even know what the time of game was. It was over four hours, wasn't it? It was right about four. It was. They finished up the last three innings pretty fast. It was on track for, yeah, eight-hour game or something. That Please. park isn't close to the airport. Uh, how no. fast were you driving there, buddy? I don't think I'm allowed to, to say <laughs> that on the, on the air. At least you had four innings to recast your story. Uh, it did happen in the ninth. The I thought that down. they would find a way, though. They're only down, what, a run or two? I well, they, that was the yeah. thing. They got Mitch Hanniger came right back. They they He drove one off the wall. They came back, got one right back, yeah. and was like, oh, my gosh, are we yeah. just going to be a 20-21, 20 2019 game yeah. or something? And I was like, I'm not going to make my <laughs> flight. I'm not going to make my flight. Um, but, yeah, they went pretty quietly after that. Yeah, I thought they were going to come back and win it, what, 13-12 to 12 or something, and everyone went to have a good laugh over that bad inning, and it, but yeah, it was pretty bad. I was at the Seahawk game, and I watched it on. I just followed it on the game cast, and I just was, you know, in disbelief. Just didn't seem real. It, didn't, like, it did yeah. not seem real. I, yeah, and just to watch Twitter just absolutely go nuts was kind of uh, perversely entertaining, but. Uh, uh, yeah, people lost their minds after that. And we were saying this today earlier, Stoney. The Mariners had a 99.7% yeah. chance entering the sixth inning to win that game right. on Sunday, which I immediately thought back to when they started that road trip, they had a 99.7% chance of making the playoffs, right? <laughs> yeah. So unthinkable that they could right. lose a game like that. And, at you know, 10 days ago, it was pretty unthinkable that they wouldn't make the playoffs. 
Yeah. Here we sit on Tuesday. It still feels like they are in a really good position. Obviously, they control uh, their destiny in this whole thing. But yeah, crazier things have happened. Yeah, and they've lost the the certainty of it, and they've shown that the quality of the opponent doesn't really matter. That those ten games were against horrible teams, and they went three and seven. Now they're playing ten more against horrible teams again, and. They've shown that that doesn't mean that they're guaranteed to, to win these games. They're just depleted. That, that's the big part of it. They're without their two best players. Well, Suarez is back now, but for the bulk of that trip, they were without Julio and, and Suarez. And the, the Angels series, they didn't have Raleigh. And I think they even played a couple games without Hanniger, who still has a back thing. So uh, Raleigh's not 100%. And then the, the pitching is just kind of... It's like they've all hit a wall simultaneously. Kirby had a bad start. Gilbert had a bad start. Castillo kind of fell apart in the middle of two straight games. Um, you know, the bullpen imploded. So that's that that's been their bread and butter. So they, you know, it's understandable late in the season they're tired, but they need to find a way to get a sort of a second win heading into the into down the stretch and into the postseason. We kind of knew though. I think that. Their margin for error is uh, to be successful and be bad is is pretty thin. I mean, like, you know, like basically if they don't play at a high level, they're not very good. When they play at a high level, they're they're pretty competitive, but they're not one. They don't have the bashers. They don't you know, it's kind of and it was, you know, it was kind of fool's gold in a way. They're relying on the home runs so much. Yeah, it looks pretty when you get seven runs, you hit a couple of dingers, but like you get a good pitcher and then all of a sudden you can't manufacture runs in any way. That that exposes you. And you knew there was going to be at some point some bad outings from some pitchers, but they all came on the same road trip. Was, yeah. was bad, But they just played bad. They made errors in the field. They just weren't very clean. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's it's crazy to think they're only – I mean, so they came in today, what, up three on the Orioles? Technically four, though. Three, three and, and a half. half. Three yeah. and a half. Oh, yeah, because they played yesterday. They, yeah. yeah. Three and a half. Um, but it's technically four and a half, right? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, the math is still difficult for them to blow it. But, like, all this talk about them hosting, you know, taking the first wild card game or wild card series and hosting, I mean, that's kind of out the window right now, the way Toronto's playing. Yeah, they, they had... They had command of that. If they'd had a decent trip, seven and three, which is kind of what you'd expect, uh, just think where they would be. They they would be in control of that. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> now the, the and I do think the organization. You've talked about this, Ryan. Really wants this hosting thing because I mean they're facing a situation where potentially they could end their 20-year playoff drought and not <laughs> not get a home game out of it if they have to go on the road and they lose. Uh, they're done. There's no home game, and it's like, do you even? Uh, does the drought even end if the fans don't get to see a playoff game? Technically, it does, but it would sting. So, um, you know, now they're fighting for. Well, I mean, they still have a shot at one, but they're going to have to get really hot and hope that, that Toronto gets knocked off. But you know, two or three is looking more realistic and. Each of them has their positives and their negatives, which we can discuss. Yeah, I don't even know what, you know, everybody's, oh, you know, playing against the Cleveland's good because then you avoid the Astros. But, you know, somebody, as our buddy Shockey pointed out, hey, playing the Astros in a five-game series is probably easier to beat them than in a seven-game series. I don't know. Like, look, I don't think you're at this point where you can sit. 
They just they just went three and seven yeah. on a road trip or four and six or whatever. Three, three and seven. Three and seven. Three and seven yeah. against the two, worst teams yeah, in baseball. Two right? of the I mean only two of them are legitimately the two of the worst teams in baseball and the Angels aren't good, you know. Um uh, it's no, I don't think that anybody should say, Well, <laughs> we'd rather yeah. play this opponent. You know what you'd rather be doing? Is playing a little bit better than yeah. they're playing right now and getting healthy. So I, I think that's a big thing because I don't know. I guess honestly, they always say momentum's the next day starting pitcher. But if you're playing like crap going into the series, sometimes that doesn't really help. And these guys have no experience. It's not like they can just turn it on or turn it yeah. off. I mean, I felt like that one year in 2020 during the COVID year, the Astros were playing terribly most of the season. They got in the postseason and kind of turned it on. But they'd already had a ton yeah. of postseason experience. These guys have none other than like Diego Castillo. <laughs> I tweeted yeah, last night. I, it, it struck me that the uh, a good comp was the 2000 Yankees, which I I covered their postseason. They they were riding high in mid September, and then they just went into this inexplicable funk where they they finished the year three and fifteen, they, and uh, they lost their last seven, and everyone was 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 up in arms. You can imagine how the New York media was reacting, and then they ended up. They beat the A's in the division series. They beat the Mariners in the ALCS, and then they beat the Mets in the Subway World Series and were the champions. But the the difference is, as I pointed out, that team had won the last two previous World Series, so they were two-time World Series champions, which they had to draw on. And they had a team filled with you know superstars. They had Clemens and Jeter and Rivera and Tino and Bernie and all those guys with with, with loads of playoff Luis experience. Soho. Yeah. Luis Soho. Brocious <laughs> on that Nelly, team. Brocious, yeah. So, I mean, that was a that was an all time team. This is this is not an all time team, but it just shows that it is possible for a team to to, to turn it on when the playoffs starts. But uh, you, what they need to do is turn it on in this homestand and finish strong. Finish like they should have done on the last road trip and win seven out of ten or eight out of ten or something like that. Yeah. Seems like an obvious question an obvious point but how important is Julio to that oh. and how concerning is is his back situation right now I think well service said that he was gonna set a day pregame that he's gonna start doing baseball activity this weekend uh, Julio was here on the off day yesterday getting treatment on his back and then of course popped into the Luis Castillo press conference um, but yeah I he, he's kind of the catalyst I mean he's their energy at the top of the order and you're a better team you know, with the way Jared Kelnick's playing right now, if you can put Julio in center and Kelnick in left and Mitch in right, that's a better, you know, you just, it makes it a lot better. It addresses the defensive shortcomings you've had in left field and some recent productions drop off in left field. And then you have your better players. I mean, like right now too, you know, having to play Ty France at third, they've taken a step back defensively. He's been, he's okay, but he's not elite like Suarez. So all these things factor into it. You remove pieces here and there, and obviously Julio's a big piece, but it's like what you replace him with, the drop-off is significant, and then it affects other positions because you're piecing it together, and then you're rolling out a team that's not not what at the level that got you here in the first place. Yeah, the timing couldn't have been worse for, for these injuries. Because let's, if, if this stretch has shown anything, it's how valuable Julio is to yep. this team. He yep. is the engine that drives this team, with, both with ability, with intensity, you know, uh, all that stuff. And they, they sorely, sorely miss him. It's just a different team without him. And uh, you, 
know, to Adam's point, you've got to be concerned with a back injury at age 21. And we talked about this last week in our podcast that never aired. That never saw a day. <laughs> the brilliant points we made. Uh, he swings with such violence. You know, every swing he takes, he ends up in the left-hand batter's box because he swings so hard he loses his balance. And, you know, after signing him to this long-term contract, you, you've got to figure the Mariners are a little <laughs> nervous that this 21-year-old guy is going to have chronic back problems. Well, to that point, yeah, you the StatCast, um, you know, new measuring equipment and, and cameras that they're put in ballparks this year for the first time. I think Houston and, and Dodger Stadium were the first two early in the season that they had uh, those installed in. Um, Julio, midway through the season, had the best bat speed in all of baseball. Yeah. Again, small sample size with only games in Houston and, and the Dodgers, but it says a lot about a 21-year-old. And again, the violence that, yeah. that he swings with. And so, yeah, that's something, you know, maybe obviously not, not this year uh, or even next year, but, yeah. you know, what does that look like five years down the road with the wear and tear well, and something like that? He Also, he, he plays like a lunatic yeah. in all facets. You know, head first slides, going into the wall, you know, diving. Like, if there's no... All that stuff wears on you. Yeah. When you're 21, you bounce back a lot quicker. But I do think it's just also the wear and tear of the season. Because like, it's not like he doesn't work out throughout the course of the season. He he conditions himself to stay healthy. But you know, some of this fluke stuff happens. No, he did not hurt himself picking up Carlos Santana, <laughs> which I asked him about. And I got the, do you know how much I lift, bro? <laughs> you do have to wonder if... Maybe don't do it now, though, that you have a sore back. But, yeah. like, Carlos Santana is a good 200 pounds. You don't think – like, Julio can deadlift. 200 pounds? 230 pounds. <laughs> but, like, Julio can deadlift, yeah. like, 450 pounds. It's not – Right. But what I was going to say is you don't. You have to wonder if the uh, home run derby and, what, 100-plus you know, full effort swings may have triggered something. I don't know. Uh, I've heard people make that speculation. I mean, maybe. The thing is, with, like, back spasms and lower back strain, you can be doing anything and just kind of, it happens. Like, I've dealt with them before. You know, one time I, like, slipped going down some stairs, and then, you know, how you jar your heels, and you, like, hit the heel hard, and I, no, I wasn't drinking. I know the look on your face. I wasn't, I slipped. It was, like, in socks on, like, a hardwood floor, and I slipped going down. I jarred lower heels in my back, and it locked up, and, you know, I dealt with it for a week, week and a half. It was miserable. You know, and it just, everything you do is, like, can cause it to flare up, so. The other thing is he's probably going to have to curtail his running game, which is part a big part of his game. Uh, you know, what you were talking about, he, he goes all out at all times and, you know, diving back into bases, head first slides into bases, and he's going to, I mean, to be smart, to be prudent, he probably shouldn't be doing that. And they already have cut that down in the second half yeah. of the season by design after he hurt his wrist, obviously, uh, the game before the All-Star break, and, and uh, that's, that's a big reason why we've seen him slow down. And Scott Service has been pretty open about that, but the, the plan was for him to sort of pick it up here down the stretch again if he needed yeah. a bag. You, you can count on him for that, but now, you know, obviously you, 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 need, you just need him out there, period. You know, I think they putting him on the DL, or the IL was smart to save him from himself, but I was thinking before they made that decision, even if he thinks it's going to take eight days, if you can get him back for two extra days <laughs> so he doesn't have to go the full ten, you could probably play a man short because you're already up a man with the with the uh, September call-up that you're getting and you know someone like Trammell 
he wasn't going to play much anyway. So it's not like you're really losing a key player. So uh, every the, game matters. Every game matters. And if you can get Julio back for two extra games, if he doesn't go on the IL, it was I thought it might be worth considering. But I think they didn't want Julio to, to tell them after six games or four games I can play, I can play. This way he's got it. He knows he's not playing and he can rest. And it's probably the wise thing to do because where they really need him is for the postseason. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder if, like, when he first suffered the back spasms, yeah. if he just went on the IL that day, yeah. and then they took it, you know, and they said, hey, look, we're going to MRI this now, see what it is. You go on the IL that day, you take care of it before, you know, he takes a few days off, then push it. I mean, I guarantee you, he took the few days off, wanted, you know, looked at him, they had lost, what, two of the first three in, in Anaheim, comes back, you know, wants to come back and make sure, like, hey, man, we can't yeah. keep losing like this. I mean, he's cognizant of what is what's best for the team, and he and he actually hit pretty well in, before yeah. he went back on the IL. He, I think he had two hits in his last two game, each of his last two games. Uh, I don't think he hit any out of the ballpark, but uh, you it, know, you just wonder too. After being off ten days, is he going to be a little rusty for a couple of games? Uh, I guess the, the hope is they'll they'll have clinched by then. And they can. They, they don't need him to be completely sharp, but they're going to be playing for seeding, so they need to win every one of those games. In the lost recordings of our podcast that we didn't get, <laughs> kind of like on the Eddie and the Cruisers or any other, they find those lost recordings yeah. of some band. The lost recordings, Larry, Larry and I said that they needed to call up Jared Kelnick because he was better than Jesse Winker at this point, or at least had the potential to be better. I guess if there's one good thing that came out of the Julio deal, I mean, obviously he wasn't the reason like but he's played more than maybe they expected because julio is out but like kelnick's been really solid i mean you know there's been a couple strikeouts here and there but like he's been really solid since he came up i saw him for what three days in oakland you saw him for three in in kansas city what have you thought he might even he might even be better than solid right now i think just as um you hear scott service talking about it um you talk to Jared in, in Oakland, I talked to him a little bit in Kansas City. Um, just real low-key, I think you, the word you used was measure to describe um, just his comments and, and um, his approach right now. I mean, he's, he's, he's not getting carried away. Um, I think he also realizes too, it's only been a few games, three, four games. Uh, it's not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things for baseball, but he's, it's just, it's clear right away that yeah. he's, he's different. Um, he's different both in the uh, in the mechanics of his swing and what he's doing at the plate but I think more you can just see it in the maturity is probably the best word for it um, in in his general approach and as Scott service the word Scott service keeps using is calm he's calmer he's breathing he's not uh, breaking a bat after every swing and miss right he's yeah. not going back into the behind the dugout and smashing his helmet um, at least nothing we've heard or seen <laughs> but I mean that's just again you can understand the frustration for a young guy with all the expectations and all the hype that, that came with it, but he's been humbled a little bit, obviously. Went back down to Tacoma, had a, uh, pretty much a full season down there, and he had a really good season down there as one of the youngest players in the Pacific Coast League. And that, that confidence has obviously grown for him, and it's showing up here in a short sample size, but this is exactly what they've needed at exactly the right time. He's 
defensively, I don't know what they'd be doing right now without Julio out there if Jared wasn't doing what he's doing. Because um, he's a plus defender out there. Um, he's going to be a plus plus defender in left field or right field in the future, I feel like, for for this team if he can continue to hit. But um, I think the Mariners have to be thrilled with what they're seeing so far. Again, small sample size, but this is exactly what they needed at exactly the right time. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the change is... Well, like, I, I, yeah, he's very measured. He's very subdued. Like, he just isn't – it isn't about being Jared Kelnick prospect, you know, this guy. It's just, like, go out and play. You know, he, he has been humbled, and I think um, I think he has a better understanding. And I think I also realize that he had to change the approach and some stuff with his swing and how he played because the Mariners – he was putting up numbers right away, and the Mariners didn't bring him back. They're like, no, you haven't fixed it. You're going to fix it. We're not going to bring you back. Um, and he was hard-headed, I think, a little bit about fixing it. You know, I talked to him a little bit, and he just said he had to do some soul-searching on his own on what he wanted to do at the plate. But if you look at it, he has simplified his setup. He's cut down on the big leg kick. Um, he's not trying to nuke everything. I think he realizes he's plenty strong enough to hit the ball out of the park without trying to hit the ball out of the park. I think that was one thing. He focused on contact more than just trying to kill it. And then you also, if you notice, on two strikes, he almost limits the leg kick mm. to nothing. Mm. And that's a huge development yeah. for him is, like, finding a, a two-strike approach. So, yeah, that part, I like the mechanical, the mindset. You know, he has a better idea of what he wants to do with pitches. Um, and, I mean, I, the defense has been good all year. I That's a kid that had defensive problems last year. He focused on it. He works on it still. And the one thing I – I think, and Service mentioned it too, is like in the mixture of personalities that they have, the edge that Jared has and how hard he plays. And I mean, he plays like a football player on the field, like the hustle double and stuff. Like he has one speed, you know, whether, you know, it's people like or not, he plays as hard as possible. That's important. You bring that edge, you know, he's so intense. That's a good thing for him. And um, no, I, I mean, you know, it makes you wonder because I think. Larry and I, based on stuff we'd heard from, you know, from people within the game, even in the organization, we felt like Jared was probably going to be gone this offseason, that they'd try and move him in a deal, like if, you know, especially they want to address a position that Jared might be a player they move on from. Uh, they tried really hard at the deadline. You know, I know it's only five games, but if he continues this and you look at it and say, well, this is, and Jared understands, this is the player I should be. Maybe you reassess where you're at again, because again, he's 23, yeah. and you got him for a lot of time, and you're going to have an outfield opening because Mitch Haniger probably not going to be back, and even if you don't, in the left field you got. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'm just—it's just significant defensively. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, I we saw it briefly, but Jared in left, Julio in center, and whoever like right now, Mitch in right. That's who you want to have starting a playoff game. Coming up, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. It's an incredible. This is shaping up as like an incredible human interest uh, rags to riches story because everybody had written off Kelnick, you know, bust. This guy's a bust. And what if he came back up? He's the spark, you know, that will get him into the playoff, gets him back on track, and then has a great postseason. Um, yeah, long term, this is a guy that was. Part of their, it's been part, big part of their future plans for a couple of years, and I think people maybe were writing that off, including myself. I'll admit it, uh, maybe a little too quick. He he has a world of talent, and 
I've always felt he needed confidence and like to have some good things happen to him so he gets out of his own head. And it was really big that his first game in Oakland, he had a great game, and then he kind of rode off of that. But uh, uh, yeah, I I think he's that there's a chance that he may work his way into their plans, or at the least, his trade value, if that's what they end up doing, was was down to you know minimal, and at least he he could. Uh, uh, in, improve his trade value by having a good postseason but I think I think there's a chance he's worked his way back into their long-term plans and sort of uh, found himself I had a I just had a sense we talked about it on the podcast uh, that this was the right time for him finally he had had sustained success at the minors which he hadn't had before and I think just sort of the the mentally it's set up for him he's he's not coming in as the big savior guy anymore that ship had sailed he's just coming in as a guy and I think maybe that put a little less pressure on him uh, he was in, in essence it turned out he's replacing Julio but in essence at the time he was replacing Winker a guy who was doing nothing so it wasn't as much of a burden as it was to be the the uh, this uh, yeah. mega prospect yeah we don't need you to be Ted Williams <laughs> we just need you to be better than Jesse Winker yeah, right. which is not what you call a high bar to scale exactly at this. I mean like because that was the thing like when we had like, when we were, Larry and I talked about it and I we'd actually been kind of talking about it on we have you know uh, we have our own, you know, text threads and stuff like that. But if you looked at it, if you're just doing a side-by-side -side comparison between Winker and Kelnick, Winker's or Kelnick's better base runner, better defender, more power potential, you know, more extra base hit potential. Um, the only thing he wasn't good at where Winker had him was an on-base percentage. But, I mean, Winker strikes out at a pretty high percentage, yeah. too. So it's not like there's a, still a swing and miss. So I was like, all the, all the potential, like if you're listening in, you go with Jared and then... You know, and they brought him up to do that, and then Julio got out, went out a couple of days later. But yeah, it was. I just thought it was. I agree too. And then talking with some people, they noticed some of the, the the changes to the approach and the the setup and shortening some things up over the last two and a half weeks. Because remember when he got called up when Julio got hurt, he was playing okay down and he's putting up pretty good numbers. But it was the same Jared that we had saw have struggles in the first half. Or in the first two weeks of the season, so he made some changes. Again, I think you, you know, you go up there a couple of times. And say, okay, this just isn't going to work. Right. Doesn't matter what I'm doing down here at AAA. Every time I get up there, it's not working. So I better make a change somehow or some way. And that's been good. I mean, that's big though because that's another big important thing with Jared is I think he's got a lot of people in his ear all the time about how he has to do this, how he has to do that. I think he's finally taken a little bit more ownership of himself and his career and decided this is how I want to do it. I'm going to do these things. And I'm going to fix it. And it's not going to be, you know, my agent or my parents or teammates or, you know, even Jerry or Scott or anybody. It's like, i got to figure it out on my own or I'm not going to make it. And I think that's a big motivating factor. We should talk a little bit about Winker. It seemed like, was it in An Anaheim where, <laughs> cringe, cringe. Uh, was it in Anaheim where that ball got mild? <laughs> Between his legs. Yeah, it seemed like that was, was like a lot. every series. But that, there was, in particular, that one play seemed to be a kind of a last straw thing for and everybody. Oakland too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it went in Oakland, Oakland too. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
went between his legs. The one I had, I think I wrote about the one where yeah. he managed to have a ball go over his head twice. Yeah. <laughs> where it went over his head, then bounced off the wall and back over his head. Yeah, but yeah, I wonder if we're going to see him in the field. Well, now he's hurt, but uh, if we're going to see him in the field again. And what what the heck happened to that guy? I mean, he, he came over here with us, uh, one of the best sluggers in, the, in baseball when you look at his OPS and his slugging percentage and his average against right-handed pitching, and none of that has been... In evidence all season long, and he's been a liability out in the field. He's, you know, he's not close to the player the Mariners thought they were going to get. No, the Mar- like the scouts I talked to say that he has some of the worst bat speed on the team. Yeah. They think a lot of it last year was a product of Great American Ballpark. If you look at the if you look at the AL Central, Wrigley Field, Great American Ballpark, uh, what is well, Miller Park, whatever it's called now, that's a hitter's park. Um, Pittsburgh to left field isn't too bad. Yeah, or sorry, to right field. Right field isn't terrible. Yeah, and you know it's warm there a lot. You know, it's just they felt like he he was aided a lot by some of the parks he was hitting in, and that he got exposed here. And then I don't know because I asked. I mean, people always say this. Oh, he must be hurt. That's why I. If he's hurt, it's hard to tell because he's not getting treatment. You know, like usually when players are dinged up, they're getting treatment all the time and stuff like that. We haven't seen that. I was talking to. Yeah, we were both talking to a scout who's theorized that it might have something to do with the baseballs being locked over last year yeah. than this year, too. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, they, he wouldn't be the first player to come, you know, from anywhere, but particularly from the National League here to the to this ballpark and, and struggle, um, you know, obviously, famously with uh, Adrian Belche and Sexton. Everyone loves to point back to those. Sexton had a couple big years, and uh, he had yeah. a ton of pop, but... Again, I think you nailed it, Dave. The, you know, going from maybe the easiest park to hit in outside of Denver um, to one of the hardest, if not the hardest, to hit home runs in. I mean, that's it exposed him, and it's, yeah. it's been a terrible year. I don't think there's any other way to say no. it for Weaker, particularly relative to the expectations to what they thought he could be and would be for this team. And it's like, you know, and they're, the frustration, like you said, you know, you can, like, service had been super almost protective of Jesse's defense because it had been so bad and believe me I'd ask all the time and just like you know and he would say sometimes just privately like look I'm not going to answer it the way you think I'm going to answer it I'll answer it how I want to answer it I said well I'm going to keep asking it (laughs) and so you know I asked it in Oakland where he had the ball go between his legs and it was costly you know and and I think sometimes it gets to the point too where the pitchers start to get a little grumbling I think but privately in talking with some sources on the Mariners they're frustrated a little bit in the sense of that all this stuff is going wrong with him and he hasn't really bought into what they want to do. Like, and that's why I think, you know, if they could trade him this off season, they will, but like this, they don't necessarily think he has really bought into the way they prepare at times, offensively, defensively. I mean, basically today, like, you know, Mitch had three hits yesterday. He'd been scuffling, but we get here today. I get here at, two o'clock because I'm an overachiever but Mitch is out there and he's already taken flips from the mound velocity machine did extra work in the outfield like you know that's how he attacks it he like Winker's not like that I think he's always been able to kind of do it the way he's wanted to and now that he has that adversity the Mariners I don't think are pleased with how he's handled it like how do you address not playing well how do you address your defensive aspects and all that stuff and they, I think there's some frustration there. And I think they're to the point now. We got hit by the pitch the other day and came out of the game, so he's probably sore. But even healthy, 
I think you sort of have to make the decision that our best team, we're trying to win playoffs. We're trying to make the playoffs. We're trying to win playoff series. I don't think there's very many days where you look and decide that your best lineup has Jesse Winker in it. And Certainly not in left field. You no. can't put him at DH now because Suarez is stuck at DH until he can throw again. So uh, there may not be playing time for him much. No, I had a scout ask me if they would consider not putting him on the active postseason roster for the first series because of the way it sets up. You know, like, you know, if you're in, you know, like you go to, say you go to, if they have to go to Tampa, how fast the outfield grass, or, you know, it's on turf, how fast the ball gets out there, things like that. He's not like, a lineup like, versus McClanahan, yeah, that's McClanahan, for sure. Yeah, McClanahan, and they yeah. have that other, you know, they have some guys there that cause problems, you know, and you know if you're facing the Rays, the pitching's good, it's going to be low scoring, can you really afford to give up 90 feet or not, you know, not yeah. have all your bats in? So, um, yeah, I don't, it would have been, there's been a couple other times this year where I think they've wanted to sit him down for extended periods, and then, like, circumstances happen, like injuries and stuff like that. Even, like, uh, a few weeks ago, we kind of thought maybe we'd see the end of him in left field. And then you get Julio gets nicked up. Mitch had his back issue for a bit. It's all these things have kind of hit Hegarty was banged yeah, up. Yeah, you kind of keep him out yeah. there. The Hegarty had some throwing stuff. You know, like, all these things keep him out there. And, I, and so, like, people get angry. Like, why is he out here? Well, sometimes it, it just happens. Like, baseball happens. You know, like, it does. And, and so it's... It's kind of crazy that they that they're here now. Yeah. But I'll be interested to see how much he plays over the course of the next ten games. Obviously, with Julio out, it may give him a little more opportunity. But well, you I mean, also want to play the guys that you think you're going to play going into the postseason too. I mean, Haggerty has been exposed a little at the plate by playing a lot. The more he plays, he's having he's really you know struggling against right-handed pitching, but. I'm not so sure they're not a better team, even if he's struggling offensively, because he's he's an excellent left fielder who's made a string of plays that and he's their best base and the best base runner. So I mean, you figure he's gonna he's gonna get a hit or two, but even if he's struggling, I think they're a better team with him in left than than anybody else until Kelnick, until Julio's back, and then you can put Kelnick in left. All right, so wait, we gotta talk about the. Luis Castillo extension. Adam had to work that day. <laughs> uh, I was, I got a message. And I was like, oh, and uh, I retweeted something past and it tweeted, and then I got a message. Hey, yeah, we're gonna get. There's a deal for Castillo. So when I already saw the tweet <coughs> from a source, and then Adam, he thought somebody was hurt, didn't he? Or something. I, that was my initial. That the way yeah. things have been going, because it was the day before Julio was uh, on the injured list. Or was on the injured. I was like, oh, is he hurt? What? <laughs> I, I mean. Uh, only fair, I felt like that. That was my initial thought. But I was driving to Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City when, when you let me know, and uh, so I was ready for something. Yeah, I can't. I am surprised they got an extension done with him. He's a year from free agency, and I mean, you know, he hasn't been like he's been lights out for a good portion. But I, like just thinking about what he might do with a whole year with his team. You know, like next year, it could be he could have made big money going into free agency. The Mariners paid him like a free agent, though. If you look at the, the uh, you know, was it 20, 20 million a year, right? Pretty uh, much five one oh eight. Yeah, 
And um, he could, you know, that's less than what Robbie Ray got, yeah, though. Yeah. And he's, you know, three years younger. But he's a two or three years younger. Yes, but yeah. exactly, and he's a year away. So I honestly, I feel like it's a fair deal for him, and it has a chance to be a really good deal for the Mariners yeah. long term yeah. if he stays healthy. And he's going to eat up innings. He's had chances. He's your number one pitcher going in the playoffs. You know, you this season, there's still a lot to happen this year. But when you look ahead to next year in a full season rotation of Castillo. Ray, Kirby, Gilbert, and at some point, you know, Hancock. Uh, then you got to figure out, you know, what to do with uh, Marco and Flexen and all that. But I mean, that that's going to be one of the best rotations in the in the league. And Imagine when Shohei gets here too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it sets you up for success. They got to. I mean, they obviously have to go and address their offense significantly in the off season, and, and I think get a top of the line hitter. Yeah, that's but the thing is like if the, the the free agent market, if like Castillo, if he was a free agent going after this season, you know the the rate of what they would have had to pay would have been higher. Like they're getting it done now, and I think this Castillo just wanted probably like he seems to like it here. He likes the stability. You know they're paying him right. That the initial ask was for six years. Castillo's people wanted six years. The Mariners didn't want to give a pitcher. You know five is kind of their limit. So they built in that little option clause, and they built in some protection for the option with the UCL thing, which is kind of a new deal too. But it, like again, like Depoto said, both sides have protection in the contracts, and with Julio, so that if certain things happen, you're not getting crushed by it. Did they do something similar for Felix with his big deal? They did. Injury yeah. protection. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly standard around yeah. baseball. Now, it's starting to get more and more. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's only fair when you're getting into this. Yeah. Hundred million dollar sure. deals, but for sure, I mean, there's, there's a risk with with long term deals to pitchers with with injuries, and you got to protect yourself. But every year, like since I've been since the post has been here, but every year they go into the market trying to find a starting pitcher. And, you know, they were able to get Robbie Ray, but they've not had a lot of success with getting like a top of the line free agent starting pitcher. Yeah. You know, you know, they get the Wade Miley's of the world and yeah. stuff like that, or the Flexens of the world. They weren't getting those, so you have two like. They go into an offseason where they don't have to address their starting pitching. And it's sort of, this is the technique that the Cardinals have done successfully for so many years. They make trade deadline deals and with the belief that their their culture and their situation is going to be so appealing that they'll get them to sign. They did it with Mark McGuire, with, with Holiday, Arenado, Goldschmidt, all those guys. And, I mean... It looked like the, it looks like the Mariners sort of did the same thing with Castillo. I know Castillo's scuffled obviously now twice against Oakland, against couldn't couldn't finish against Kansas City the other day. Had feel like he's great for like four five innings, and then he kind of has that one inning he tires a little bit and and implodes in a few of these games. But I also feel like we think back to what he was against the Yankees in those two starts. He had three starts over the course of a month against the Yankees, one with the Reds. Um, against what Cleveland too. I feel like he's a big game pitcher. I feel like he's the guy you want out there in the playoffs with big game on the line, the bright lights. You know, some guys are just like that, right? If yeah. there's not a ton of pressure, there's not much buzz in the crowd, like Kansas City or in Oakland, right? It's hard to get excited. You know, yeah, he's a professional, should be able to perform no matter what. But um, I'm really curious to see what he looks like. You know, if yeah. this team gets in the playoffs, you know, if they go to Cleveland or if they yeah. eventually end up at Yankee Stadium, I think he's the guy, the exact guy that you want on the mound if you're the Mariners. He's, it's slotted out, right? He starts game one. Like the thing, yeah. sheet I sent you, it's mm-hmm. slotted out. Okay, I was making sure. I think so. I, there's, there's, there's a guy who keeps emailing both of us these uh, adjusted uh, ones. Adjusted yeah. ones that, I, that give me a headache. But I gave you the one that I had. Yeah. Mine was. 
I talked to some people about how they might do it. And so the adjusted ones I have would be for either Castillo to start the first game or the last day of the season. Um, but right now with where they're at, I think you just have him start. The, the, the kicker was always going to be if the Mariners went into the last two days of the season with a chance to get the first wild yeah. card, they were going to try and get it. They felt like the home field advantage was important and that, that Ray, Kirby, and Gilbert were good enough to be their three starters in that wild card series. But if they're not going to do it, then they want to stay where they're at. And I, they're obviously not changing now because they haven't slot reslotted. They have Yeah, I asked Service about that at, at, at your suggestion the other day. He was pretty adamant. No, we're not changing anything in the off days. We're like where we're at. And you know, honestly, that might not even be a question now. We were asking that two weeks ago. What do you do if you had a chance to get I don't the field? Think it's a question. Now, well, that, now they just got to get in. Yeah, they might go to the last series just needing to win. Period. Exactly. I mean, who's slotted to pitch? The first 162? Three games, no, mm. uh, one, two, and three in the wild card series. So it goes, uh, I think it goes um, Castile, Ray, Gilbert. Gilbert, not, George would not start Gilbert. the last day of the season. Right. And would also. Or is Gilbert starts the last day of the season and George would start the third game? That sounds right. Yeah. 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 We're, in the, uh, we're in a booth here at Safe. Or at, uh, T-Mobile Park and the uh, Orioles. Uh, I was going to bring that up, the, too. The Orioles. It was 3-2 here yeah. uh, 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Red Sox just scored six, six, six here. Six in the third and they're still going in the third inning, so they're up 8-3. to three, so. And it's on the big big screen here at T-Mobile Park, too. So, yeah, no. It, by, the time, by the time this podcast runs, we'll probably know that the Orioles won We're this game 10-8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if it was Luis Castillo, we'd start wild card one, Robbie Ray, wild card two, George Kirby. Wildcard three. Logan would set up to start the last game of the season, and mm-hmm. I'm sure ideally they like to skip that. And like, I remember Jerry Depoto going, "I was hoping Justice Sheffield would make that start that day, and then <laughs> they could they could skip Logan, and then he could go back and be in the wild card three if they wanted to, or George. Like, you never know who they're going to do. I will I, I will say we like talked about how set up their rotation is for next year. I'll be curious to see how this year affects George and Logan next year. I mean, I know yeah. they condition a lot, but it's usually not the year where they have the extended innings build up or the innings jump that they get hurt. It's the year after that. And I'm not like saying that's going to happen, but that'll be something to monitor. I'm sure the Mariners will do it. Um, What's the scuttlebutt you're hearing on uh, Hancock? Is he going to be ready like, mid-season next year to join the I mean, I think so. That's kind of what their hope is. But I think they'll give this Taylor Dollar kid probably yeah. a chance to start before that, and they'll have there's another guy named Bryce Miller who throws 100, yeah. who eventually I think will be a reliever, and if and so when we were talking to Jerry DePoto and I'm going to include the audio on this podcast he used Matt Brash's name as a starting pitcher next mm-hmm. year Interesting So, I, I don't mean know. if he gets that he seemed like he's uh, that knuckle curve um, is his third pitch, he seems to kind of go in and out with that in yeah. terms of his confidence or um, again, it's clear you're a reliever. You really only need yeah. two. You're throwing against a good lineup. The game's this important. You're throwing your best pitches, your two best pitches more often. But, and maybe I'm a little wrong about that. I, I, I feel like his slider is just clear second pitch, but maybe the data shows his local curve is just as effective. But um, if he has, if those three are dialed in, yeah, he can be a starting he pitcher. He can be. I mean, remember how excited everyone was, including DePoto, about his. Uh, Potential as a starter, and then and it was like the sky was the limit, and then all of a sudden, everybody was like puzzled. He's a reliever. I think it may turn out to be a great decision. He's been increasingly uh, dominant until 
Sunday. <laughs> you know, you you you, want, you hope that Sunday wasn't indicative of him him hitting some sort of wall or something. So his next outing is one going to be one that I watch closely. But for the for now for this postseason, he could be a huge weapon for them. A, a late inning, just uh, you know, strikeout, lockdown guy, which they have potentially a few of those, which is their great strength, I think, going into the postseason. So what, um, yeah, and I think they probably just told me, look, you're going to do this. I know he wasn't happy about it, but maybe they said, look, we'll give you a chance to start next year, maybe. And we'll let you try it and see. thing is, they already have all these guys set. You know, they'll look to move probably Chris Flexen in the offseason. And the Mariners might have considered doing it this season um, at the deadline, but they, they wanted that depth just in case of an injury. I mean, they shop. They, I know they were looking to move Marco Gonzalez as well. So they could move those guys in the offseason because they have these other starters, and then maybe they look at Brash that way. But it'll be interesting what they do. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up. So it's 8-3 now. So when <laughs> would the Mariner – got to buy ponchos because, yeah, you know, I'm not – and I know I'll be a target for certain what? players. Uh, I need to, certain players will be coming after me with dumping stuff on my head just because I'm me. Um, so when would they clinch? What do you think? When do you predict? Well, I, I like your optimism. It's it's when, not if. But yeah, <laughs> I think the math for me, and I mean they're yeah. Orioles are losing eight three in the fourth. I'm gonna say Sunday. Sunday. And Sunday. 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 And the Orioles have to play Yankees and Blue Jays after this. Yeah. Yeah. While the Mariners have Texas, Oakland, and Detroit coming Detroit in. Detroit is the one. I mean, Detroit did take two out of three from the Orioles, but they're a pathetic team. So, But we thought the same thing about Oakland. <laughs> I mean, the Angels are a dangerous team, despite their record. When you've got Trout and Otani, there's and Oh, our guy's and, good, and, too. And, and uh, the, the leadoff guy who kills the Mariners. Rangifo. Rangifo. From the Mariners. I'm going to say it's... Game one Tuesday against Detroit. Wow. I'm gonna say it goes to Tuesday. Oh still. no! Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, we're how brutal would that be? Though? The three of us trying to figure out our travel plans. They can't even celebrate between. Maybe they do between the two yeah. games. I don't think so. But yeah. I mean, there's I so many different scenarios where they could they could find out that they clinched because of Baltimore lost. <laughs> you know, in the seventh inning. Yeah. Or if they have a day game, they could. In Baltimore has a night game. Maybe they clinch it when they're they've left the ballpark. That's happened before. I think it'll be Saturday night. Okay. I like that. Because I think Baltimore's going to lose a couple here. Boston's actually not bad. Saturday's a day game, so that could be one of the scenarios where they have to wait out Baltimore's game if Baltimore plays at night on Saturday. Yeah. We have plans Saturday night, too, don't we? We have to come back and cover the oh, celebration. Yeah. We'll go out and celebrate, come back, cover our yeah. celebration. That's a scenario not I do not want. I do not want it to be in doubt until... Baltimore's. I haven't even checked to see if Baltimore's playing at night on Saturday or not. But and by celebrating, I mean we would go out celebrating. Yeah. Our friend Kevin Shockey. Yeah. And uh, oh, he uh, he's and made it public. Has he? Yeah. Um, yeah. And a send off there, but uh, yeah, I was looking forward to that day game, a rare day game on a yeah. Saturday. Yeah, because we don't get a day Saturday game. Night. We don't get a day game on Thursday. Right. Um, right. Because it's a getaway, but it's limited because of this. So, um, all right. And then, so you have a question: Who are they going to be playing in the wild in the wild card round? I'm going to go Cleveland. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're definitely getting ahead of ourselves in that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's setting up for that. And like if you had said a month ago, that's what you want. That's what Mariners probably would want, right? Um, if they can't play at home, 
you know, Cleveland. And look what the Mariners did against yeah. two. There, that was Mariners peaked, right? That was a really good series here at home, taking three, four, and then going to Cleveland, winning that series. Uh, Cleveland has been hot since then. They're 91 in their last 10. They're run away with that division. They've already celebrated. They've clinched. I know it obviously wasn't a great division this year, but they might be the hottest team in baseball going into the playoffs. They have the pitching to match up with the Mariners. I I think they're going to play Tampa. Tampa's got the toughest schedule. they got to play the Astros and the Blue Jays and So you think Tampa's going to get number one? No, I think the Mariners are going to get two. Two. So you think Toronto. Toronto. I think we're going to have yeah. to go to Toronto. <laughs> okay. So you said Tampa, but you meant you Toronto. Yes. Yeah, we're, yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry. I meant, yeah, yeah, we're going to have to go to t- Toronto. Tampa's not played well yeah. lately either, yeah. And they're dealing with this hurricane and stuff, too. So, All right. Well, that will wrap it up. Okay. Thank you. conference with Cherry DePoto, Justin Hollander, Luis Castillo, and his agent Rafa Nieves, and also the audio from DePoto talking to a small group of writers after the press conference. I want to thank all of our fans who are joining us on Mariners.com or at Mariners or VR Partner 710. So thank you. Uh, a quick reminder to everyone, if you do have a cell phone, we'd appreciate if you turn it to silent or vibrate. Uh, and with that, I'm going to introduce the head table. I think you know everyone up here. Uh, John Stanton, our chairman and managing partner. Jerry DePoto, the president of baseball operations. I hope you all know Luis Castillo. Uh, Freddie Lanos from our group, who's going to help us if we need any translation today. Uh, you should all know Justin Hollander, vice president and assistant general manager. Uh, and Rafa Nieves from Republic Sports. So with that, John. Great. Thanks, Tim. And thanks all of you for being here today. It's an exciting day to be a Seattle Mariner and an exciting day for our franchise, historic in many respects. Our mission is to win championships, to create uh, delightful experiences for our fans and to serve our communities. Uh, Five years ago in the winter of 2018, we set out to make some important changes and make that commitment to winning championships both a long-term and a short-term commitment and today is evidence, further evidence of our commitment to do so. I'm incredibly appreciative of the work that Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander did to bring this deal in and delighted, as I said to uh, Luis Luis and his family upstairs, delighted to have him as a mariner for a very long time. Thank you very much. Jerry? So uh, with that, I will, I'll talk a little broadly about some of what's happened here you know, with the Mariners in recent months, obviously dating back to August 2nd when we, you know, the, the trade deadline, shortly before the deadline, we were able to acquire Luis Castillo and bring him over from the Cincinnati Reds. And, and, I, and I think that deal was one of the, the, the real landmark events for us in, in, in this ongoing effort to build a championship team. And, and you know, why I think that's important is because where we are today, this I think is a, another of those landmark events on the heels of, of doing our extension with Julio and J.P. Crawford and, and, and signing Robbie Ray and, and starting to create the foundation of this championship team and now extending that and creating what we think is a sustainable championship quality core to move forward with. You know, and, and Luis being here with us and joining what I think now is a very formidable pitching rotation moving forward. 
and and it starts now and it started you know the beginning of this season and what we're seeing over the course of the season is very exciting i know the last week hasn't naturally felt that way but you know it's it's this has been a wonderful journey for all of us and and this is just the next step so you know with that i'm going to kick it to to justin and rafa now, Justin, uh, first I will you know, tip of the cap to Justin and to Rafa for the work they did on this. They did this contract from beginning to end, and you know, obviously we had we had to get Luis to to get on board with it, and and he seemed to like Seattle, so it was uh, it was a good fit, and and really thrilled with the work that everybody did to bring this together. Thrilled to have Luis part of the Mariners for for this year, and then the next five at least, and. You know, we look forward to what all that brings. But for that, I'll kick it to Justin and Rafa. I don't really have much to add. I just want to thank Rafa and Elise. Um, I think when we set out on this process, and initially Jerry and I approached Rafa um, to see if he had an interest in, in doing something, it was important to everybody that we were good listeners. Uh, and we listened a lot. I think Rafa and I probably had 100 phone calls to get this done. Um, so I appreciate his patience uh, and obviously ownership's commitment to making this happen. I couldn't be more excited to, to get this done. So, Rafa. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Justin. Um, thank you, Jerry, John, um, and everybody in the organization for believing in Luis. Even before uh, this, uh, this contract, um, and yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't have much to add. I'll let Luis, uh, you know, say how he feels. But uh, we're excited to be here for the next few years um, and try to get that that championship for uh, for the city of Seattle. Luis. Yep. Uh, say in Spanish. Bueno, no, contento por este por ya pertenecer a una familia aquí. Eh, lo que hay que seguir tirando para adelante, trabajando duro y tratar de dar lo mejor de todo de, de lo que tenemos en el corazón para así tener eh, la oportunidad de llevar el equipo lo más lejos que podamos y si tenemos que ganar la Serie Mundial estamos preparados para eso. Just very happy, very happy that I'm finally able to join this family long term. Um, Got to give everything my all, um, my heart and everything. And if we're prepared to win the World Series, then, you know, let's get out there and do it. Questions for Luis for the head table? Jerry, when, when you first acquired Luis, did you envision you sitting here and then like in the back of your mind you have control of him and you're not going to make this work? Or how did that happen? Yeah, this was the plan. And, uh, you know, fortunately, again, Luis and Rafa <laughs> – uh, made it a reality, but you know we we acquired Luis like we have built the rest of this roster with the idea that we were building something that we wanted to to maintain over time. And you know, I, Luis is one of the best pitchers in baseball, and and has been for quite some time. And you know what he's done since he's been in Seattle reinforced for us that that he fit. And not just and you know this is true with our club, not just what he does on the mound, but. You know who he is as a person, what he does in the in the clubhouse with our guys. There's, a, I, I think he goes by the name you know, Piedra, La Piedra, for for a reason. You know, there's a there is a, a presence to to Luis every day when he steps out there. That is, you know, it's good for our team. And, and as we build a championship, I, I guess a championship model moving forward, it's important to have players like that that carry that presence. 
think it was our first call. Uh, Rafa was actually in Europe, uh, and he called me to tell me that uh, he was excited that we had acquired Elise and excited about what we were building, uh, and that once he got back, he'd like to come up uh, and just spend some time with Jerry and I and, uh, and see if there was something that would work for both sides. Uh, you know, Luis really valued stability uh, was the message that we got. So um, he wanted to be in Seattle. He was excited about the first week, I think, at that point that he had with 40,000 Mariner fans uh, cheering him on. It was a, you know, it seemed like a pretty special environment to him. And we obviously worked really hard to make sure that it would be for a long time. Muchas felicidades primero. Este un año, en un año tú podías ser agente libre y firmar con cualquier equipo de la liga. Pero qué fue lo que te convenció en poder quedarte aquí en Seattle? Bueno, lo, lo que más me convenció eh, es la personalidad que hay aquí en este, en esta organización. Eh, al yo ver y, y venir y ver esa, toda esa persona que siempre están unidas y un equipo que que está compitiendo. A mí me gusta eh, eh, tener como esa sensación de que cuando yo vaya al Montículo, eh, tener y dar lo mejor que yo tengo para así poder llevar el equipo más adelante y competir todo el tiempo. First off, the first thing that really caught my attention was the personality of the team. Um, when I came in here and saw firsthand just the people here and how tight and competitive this team was, it was one of the things that convinced me the most. When I go up on the mount, I want to make sure that you know I'm giving the best that I can to go as far as I can, but also have the guys around me, you know, have the same motivation that I have. Cuando tu primer comienzo aquí fue contra Nueva York y obviamente eh, la, la atmósfera, todo, este, había mucha eh, energía. Ya estando aquí, ¿qué más recuerdas tú de esa noche, de tu primer comienzo aquí en Seattle? Bueno, lo que yo más recuerdo esa noche, que estaba un poquito nervioso, porque primera salida aquí en Seattle y contra los Yankees, que es uno de los equipos que está eh, compitiendo bien. Pero lo que más me emocionó fue la fanaticada. La fanaticada, todos esos fanáticos bastante que yo eh, no había pichado tantas veces así con, con esos fanáticos así lo más importante y, y, y es que salía a dar lo mejor que yo que yo tenía en, en, en mi brazo y gracias a Dios pudimos hacer buen trabajo. The first thing that I remember that night was that I was nervous. I was nervous. It was my first start here in Seattle and it was against the Yankees, you know, one of the most competitive teams in the league. But the thing that really stood out to me were the fans. It wasn't, I hadn't really pitched that much in some type of atmosphere like that with these kind of fans. And, you know, lucky enough, I was able to go out there. The most important thing was I get, went out there and gave the best that I could with what I had in my arm. And, you know, blessed and thank God we were able to get with the win. importante fue para ti llegar aquí y ver tú personalmente todo lo que el equipo estaba haciendo la motivación todo lo que están metiendo antes de hacer tú tu decisión de poder quedarte aquí más años 
Sí, no, lo importante es que habían eh, como está Suárez, está Winker, que yo jugué con ellos en Cincinnati. Sabe que cuando uno va a un equipo nuevo, eh, tú no conoces a nadie, tiene que empezar de cero, hacer amistades con, con los demás personas. Pero cuando llegué al Clujado vi esa motivación de todos los muchachos y, y puse en mi mente, bueno, yo tengo que incluirme aquí en este grupo y dar lo mejor que yo tengo sobre mí. I mean, it was important when I came in here that I had Suarez and Winker. But when you come into a new team like this, you kind of don't know anybody. You kind of start from zero. So I saw kind of the relationships and everything that all everybody in this clubhouse had, and I thought to myself, I got to be a part of this. And that was kind of the most important thing for me. ¿Qué tan diferente fue para ti estar en Cincinnati, un equipo que se estaba reconstruyendo, a venir a un equipo como, uno, como este que está peleando para meterse a los playoffs? ¿Qué tan importante y qué tan diferente ha sido para ti? Bueno, eh, lo importante es que tenemos que fajarnos más. Tenemos que fajarnos más, dar ya, el, si damos el 100%, dar el 101% de tratar de ayudar al equipo lo más que uno pueda. Y... En Cincinnati me sentía bien, ¿sabes? Yo cuando voy a mi montículo, yo voy a dar lo mejor que yo tengo. Eh, no importa en, el, en, el, en la posición que estemos, pero siempre voy a dar lo mejor que yo tengo ahí en, en la lomita y, y tratar de ayudar al equipo lo más que yo pueda. You know, one of the things was when I got here is I realized I got to focus more. We got to be more. If I'm going to give, if everybody's giving 100%, I got to give 101%. Give that little extra in Cincinnati. You know, maybe we weren't playing for the playoffs, but every time I went up on that mound, I gave my best to the team, everything I could. Gary, how much does this negotiation stuff working on the payroll happen at the same time as you're trying to think about who you're going to deal with and what were the difficulties in managing both those? I'll kick to Justin, but the the timeline here was roughly we started this conversation in earnest while we were in the last few days of wrapping up the deal with Tulio. So uh, Justin took the, the flag and charged up the hill with Rafa, and, uh, and I worked from the background on that one. The only reason I smiled a little bit is the day that Rafa came to visit, I believe, was the day we were finishing Julio. And so Jerry was running from office to office trying to wrap up what we thought were the last details with Julio as I was beginning the conversation with Rafa. Um, and it's... When you have players like this, you know, what you think are the best players in the league and guys that have a chance to grow into the anchors, the guys that you hang billboards on the side of the stadium for, and you're doing those two things at once, I mean, it's a huge adrenaline rush. And to be doing two of them at once is, is exhilarating and exciting. And you're also very nervous uh, when you're, you don't want to make a mistake on those. But we, we had so much trust in the people to do these kind of agreements. And I think, you know, that. That means everything to us when you're going to make this kind of commitment is your trust in the talent and the person. In the starting rotation, you have Adrian Ruiz, Brock Purdy, and Austin Hills. You have two young kids on the club who play, Marco and Josh Black. I mean, I don't know if there's been a point where you've had this much stability in the starting rotation. How important is that going forward? I mean, I, I've been around baseball a long time now, and, and I've never been with a team, either as a player, as an executive, as a scout, who had this kind of depth in, in terms of starting pitching from front to back. And you know, I feel like every day somebody runs out and, and takes the mound for us that has a chance to win that day. And 
that's an exciting thing for any team is is to believe in the the group you're running out and i feel like we are formidable in a in a way that we've never been before that you know in in short seasons and or short you know series and in post seasons we line up pretty well uh, you know we just have to figure out a way to get ourselves there because we do have the personnel to uh, to line up and make anybody nervous with the kind of pitching we can throw out there on a given day. Este, estaba aquí con Julio este, en su primer año. ¿Qué tan motivación no tienes tú saber que vas a jugar con la estrella aquí en los próximos cinco o seis años con el equipo? Bueno, eh, cuando estábamos ahora allá en Kansas City, que yo le dije la noticia de que me iba a quedar aquí por cinco años, él le vi la, la, el rostro de alegría porque ya cinco años aquí juntos, más que somos de allá de República Dominicana, pero me siento contento de que voy a jugar por un largo tiempo con ese tremendo talento. Imagínate, es el rey de aquí de Seattle. Y me siento contento de, de que la organización tenga ese talento aquí y que es una persona que cuando va al terreno, él quiere dar 100% de como nosotros lo hacemos también. Y trata de ayudar y es una de las motivaciones que tenemos más en, en, en el dogado. Um, when we were in Kansas City, I told Julio that I was going to be here another five years, and I just saw his face light up because I knew, you know, we were expecting big things. And, I mean, obviously we're both from the Dominican Republic, so we kind of clicked there. But, um, yeah, having him for the next five years is going to be great. I mean, he's the king of Seattle right now. And, <laughs> and just being with him for the next five years, he's kind of the guy that motivates all the guys in the clubhouse. So having him around is just going to be great. This is why you undertake rebuilds or step backs is so that when you come out of it, you have a chance to line up with, with cornerstone type players. And you don't want to do that for a year or two. You know, we want to do this for a decade. Um, so you, you, it needs the commitment from scouting and player development to develop some of those players internally. And then when you have a chance to acquire, you know, Cy Young type talents in the least, make sh making sure they're here not for a year and a half, but for five and six years, that, that's kind of what you're aiming to do is lining up and saying, we can compete with anybody. Yeah, and I think this is what we dreamed of when we went through the initial stage of, of, of that plan, was to build a young, strong foundation from which to grow and then to go out and acquire impact players who could come in here and take us to that next level. And I think it's happening. It's happening for us right now. It's going to continue to happen for us, I hope, for the next you know, month and a half or so. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then as we move forward, having these guys who are all in the, in the primes of their careers or at the start of impact careers, it's incredibly exciting to have the kind of talent that we, we have right now. And, and it's incredibly gratifying to know that we have the backing of ownership, that as we, as we got to this point, 
and we were able to to reach deals with Luis, with Robbie Ray, with Julio, with JP, keep that talent here in Seattle and, and continue to add rather than just sitting back and, and watching what we've done because we haven't done anything yet. You know, we've all we've done is created a pool of talent to move forward with. <laughs> I'm going to take a nap. Referieron tu, tu apodo, la piedra. Este, ¿Qué significa la piedra para ti? ¿De dónde vino esa, ese apodo? Mm, son tremendas dos historias. La primera es, un poquito larga, cuando mi mamá ya estaba allá a finales de, de dar a luz, que estaba embarazada de mí, ella era como las seis de la mañana, el papá mío estaba en la finca y... Cuando el papá mío llegó a la casa, encontró a mi mamá sentada en el piso eh, con dolores. Entonces, el papá mío fue corriendo a buscar un vehículo. Fue donde la mamá de, de mi mamá, de mi abuela, y iban camino al hospital. ¿Sabes? Como esa, esos viejos de antes, eh, cuando mi mamá le daba el dolorcito en la guagua, mi, mamá le, mi abuela le ponía una piedra en la cabeza. Y que, que eso le hace que, que el, el dolor se le calme un poquito, no sé a qué viene eso. So, there's two stories. One of them was, um, when my mom was about to give birth to me, my dad was at work. So when he came home and found my mom on the floor, he rushed to get a car. That was where my grandma met us, and we rushed to the hospital. And every time that my grandma had, oh, I'm sorry, my mom had a contraction, my grandma put a rock on top of my mom's head to help right. reduce the pain. I don't know where that comes from. It was just kind of, yeah, it just kind of did that. Sí. La, la segunda historia es cuando, cuando me cambiaron para Cincinnati, ¿sabes? Cuando uno llega nuevo a, a un equipo, eh, tú quieres, cuando tienes el primer bullpen, tirar todo lo que tú tengas en el brazo. En ese bullpen, yo estaba como 97, 98 millas en el bullpen. Y había un pelotero allá que me dijo, como que está tirando roca, que está tirando piedra. Y cuando llegué al clubhouse, él me dijo que cómo yo tiro tar, así tan duro, o sea, tira la, la piedra así tan duro. Cuando me llamaron a Grandes Ligas, la primera persona que me dio en el clubhouse allá en Washington fue él. Y él fue la primera persona que me dijo bienvenido a la piedra. So the second part is when I got traded to Cincinnati, I was in the bullpen. And obviously, I was the new guy, so I kind of wanted to show everybody my stuff. So I was in the bullpen, you know, throwing 95, 97, as hard as I can. So one of the guys there told me, you're throwing rocks out here, you know. And when we went back in the clubhouse, he just asked me, how do you throw, you know, you're throwing rocks out there. How do you do it? So when I was bumped up to the majors, he was the first one to greet me there. And he said, bienvenido a la piedra. ¿Quién era ese jugador? Esa se llama Tim Allerman. Ya él no está en pelota, creo. Tim Allerman? Anything else for the head table? All right. I would bet almost anything these guys would be happy to hang around and chat with you if you have any follow-up questions. But thank you, everyone. Jay, the, some of the other contract details, like the no-trade clause and then the UCL thing, are those becoming more typical now with deals, or 
how did that work? Was there anything that showed up that you had to put that in there? No, this one was more, the, I guess, as we were finishing up the Julio deal and as long as and as hard as we worked on different types of protections in that deal, it's something that we came up with in this one, largely because we've never done a, a contract for a pitcher longer than five years. Mm-hmm. And this contract negotiation for quite a while was centered on the, the desire to have six years. So mm-hmm. this was... This was a way to to counter that was mm-hmm. to the sixth year as an option, based on performance, you know, or at least the, the innings, uh, however many innings uh, Luis can throw in year five of that deal mm-hmm. would trigger a vesting option, and if somewhere between now and then the, there's something that should happen that doesn't allow that to happen, then we get another option. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like we learned in the in the deal with Julio, finding ways to to deliver, you know. P- potential upside for the player and protection for the club wherever you can. You talked at the time of the Julio deal of just as players get closer to free agency, it becomes harder to get a deal done. In that context, why was it so important to do this now? You know, I think the when Luis came over, it couldn't have been a better time for a player to arrive with the Mariners. We, you know, we were cresting. You know, his first two starts were against the Yankees in front of big crowds, and they were epic games. And the, the way our team was playing at, at, and really had been playing for a couple months prior to that, the, 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 the community in our clubhouse, the excitement around our team. And, and I think when, when Luis arrived, that was about the, the apex of our, of our summer excitement. And, you know, Rafa got with us, and it was actually, the, I think, the day we were agreeing with, with Julio. Uh, Rafa got us. He was sitting in the office with Justin and I, and, and we approached him about the potential of doing something and just simply asked the question, is this something that we should talk about now? Should we talk about when the season is over or in the spring? You know, but we do want to have that conversation. And he said, no, he loves it here. And, and you know, I'll talk to him and, and see what, what he wants to do. And then the next day, it leaked that we had, had uh, agreed with Julio. And, and he called and said this. He said, clearly, this team wants to win. So let's talk about it now. And that was a good thing. Did you expect, I mean, honestly, like you say, you did, but, like, it's harder when guys get close. Heck, yeah. I mean, like, you know, and he, he... did you really expect, like, hey, we're going to be able to do this? Yeah. We thought we'd have a chance, and, and largely we thought we'd have a chance because we were willing to spend the money to do it. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard to, with when players are entering the, the final year of their of their uh, club control, you never know which way it's going to go when free agency is, you know, right there on the horizon. But we were willing to spend free agent prices to, to make it happen. And... Ultimately, that's what we did, and, and I hope Luis is happy with the deal. I think he is, and, uh, and we're going to keep him here for, for at least the next five years. And, and my guess is that we will find a way to make it longer than that. It's, uh, he's, he's been great in our clubhouse, and, and in addition to what he's done on the field, I, you know, I'll say this, when we acquired Luis, Nick Crawl, who with the Reds, is a great guy, and you know, we, we got very fortunate with the guys that we brought over from Cincinnati. They're just good people, and they, and they made the environment fun. And... And he said, uh, he said, you know, you've gotten some unique personalities from us. He said, wait till you get a chance to spend time around Luis. He said, he's, he's a smiler. He's going to smile at you when he meets you. He's going to smile at you when he hugs you. And then he's going to smile at somebody when he goes out and beats him. It's, uh, you know, he's, he is a very happy, you know, it's, he's got a great disposition. And first thing he said when he came upstairs today, once we, when we were getting prepared for this press conference, was that I really feel like I'm part of the family. And, and that's an important element as we try to build forward because that's not always the case, you know, and, and we're thrilled that he feels that way. You guys were linked to a number of starting pitchers on the trade market over the past calendar year plus. 
why was he the prime target that you guys wanted to go get? You know, he, he does things. You know, the combination of swing and miss, you know, his, his strikeout rate, his ground ball rate, and the, 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 the overall run suppression is, is different than almost anybody else in baseball. I think in the last three years, he's the only pitcher in baseball to have a 50% or higher ground ball rate, a 130 or better ERA plus. And, and a strikeout rate of 10 or more. It's a really rare combination of events. And, you know, it's, so from a physical talent standpoint, he's unique. You know, he's 29 years old. He's in the middle of what we think is, is an excellent prime. And, and he's been healthy and durable. There's a, the, all of those things really contribute. And the, when we talk about trying to put the right people in the clubhouse, you never know how a clubhouse is going to react to any individual player. But our clubhouse embraced him immediately. And, you know, all those factors led to us being really comfortable with this deal. I'm going to cut Luis loose unless anybody needs him to follow up with. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. When did you guys first identify him? I think you said in a radio hit that it was back in 2016. Yeah, 2016. It was the trade deadline in 2016. Um, and uh, we were, the Marlins had, had reached out to us about Wade Miley uh, at the time. And we were, at that time, we were kind of, Right on the, the fringes. I think we were we were a game or two back in the wild card, and, and we had a, a team that was interesting, but you know had some flaws. We didn't know which direction we would go, and and Wade wasn't you know on a on a particularly hot run, and you know, they reached out on him. We would take a look, and we had always discussed, and you may recall even then, the, the idea of building you know acquiring younger foundational players, and and Luis was in Double A at the time, and Woody Woodward uh, was was the scout for us who covered the, the, the Florida-based teams. And, you know, Luis was pitching for the Marlins, and, and he said, hey, I don't know if they trade this guy, but I really love Luis Castillo and, and what he does with the ball, and he talked about his fastball and his changeup. And, and uh, not a lot more than that. And when I was on the phone with Michael Hill shortly thereafter, we asked for Luis in, a, in, in, in exchange for, for Miley, and they turned us down. And then shortly thereafter, traded him to, to Cincinnati in a, in a deal that wasn't too dissimilar. So, um, yeah, we were very familiar with him dating back to 16. And, and uh, we, we, as you know, from his time with the Reds, once we started our rebuild, he was a, of high interest to us because he was a young, low-service pitcher who we thought had tremendous upside. And he was one of the names we asked for when we were talking with the Reds about James Paxton, you know, many, it's 2018, winner of 18. And, uh, you know, we were never able to, to get him. And then, you know, he was clearly our top target this uh, this trade deadline. And, uh, you know, so I guess from, from the time he was 23 to, to 29, it took us that long to, to ultimately figure out how to get him, but we did. You don't have to search for starting pitching for offseason. Is that ever? I don't every year. <laughs> it's never happened in my life. No, I mean, honestly, like it's, every year you've had to look for a starter. You really, legitimately, even with the depth you have now coming up, you don't have to do that. And it's because it's a hard market to tap into. It really is. And that the, the, the idea that we were able to build a pitching staff without you know, going to free agency more than just once with Robbie. And, uh, and this is unique in that it was you know, Luis, is, is, uh, as he's entering his, his uh, I guess, five-plus season, it, it is a free agent-looking contract, and, and that's the, the price you pay for, for getting this deep into the, the process. But, you know, the, the six starters we have currently on our major league team, I think you could add seven with the potential that Matt Brash become another one of those 
know, the guys that we feel like are closer, Emerson Hancock and Bryce Miller and Taylor Dollar. And, you know, it's, it's really just starting to build a, a lot of depth in an area we've just never been very deep. And this is the, the, you know, we've been building toward this. We felt good about our starting rotation entering the season. We feel really good about it now. And, and if we can keep these guys, you know, healthy and doing what they do, it should be fun for a lot of years. Sure, you have, go ahead. Do you have enough healthy guys to go forward here? You're getting kind of banged up at the end of the season. Yeah, it's been rough. You know, it's been rough. And I, the, the you know, Cal is really battling through. We think Gino's going to be back as early as tomorrow. And uh, we'll just have to TBD uh, his defense and, and when he's able to throw from third base. But minimally, minimally we feel like he's ready to DH. Um, that's been uh, problematic. Julio looks great. We have no concerns and feel like he is going to, uh, he'll serve his, his 10 days and, and we're trying to get him in a, in a good position to return when he's eligible, which will be for the first game of that final series against the Tigers. Now, and, and we were, we've taken on a little water this last, this last road trip. It was a tough trip. Uh, we didn't, we didn't play well. We didn't pitch well. We didn't defend well. And, and, uh, and we were banged up. You know, we were playing without some of the, the highest impact players in our lineup and we didn't respond in, in the way that you'd hope we would. And, and hopefully now as, as we get home and take a breath, we get the home crowd, we get the, the cool air and we get back to doing what we do, which is, you know, we had four wonderful months that led us to this point, and, and we're not going to let a, a couple of injuries or you know a, a rough road trip take us off track. These guys are these guys will be locked in when we get back to it tomorrow. How long was that inning yesterday for you? Whew, there's a, I've never seen anything quite like it, to be honest with you. And and I've seen a lot of baseball over the years, but uh, there's I, I think my dad who was with me at the game yesterday summarized it best. He said, "I can't believe what I'm watching," <laughs> and uh, I, I said, "I'm certain that everybody feels that way." And 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 I've the play players do too you know I've I've been involved as a as a player in in moments like that you know maybe not quite that 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 big a deal but it was uh you know it was it was an it was an unbelievable inning that a lot of things had to go right and you know from from the the, the squeaker the the gork the the the, the blooper the lost ball it's it, you know and then the walks and it almost always comes back to the walks and you know we'll that's not us. It's not what we do. It's not what we've done up until this point. And hopefully we got it out of our systems and can go back to doing the things that the Mariners do tomorrow. With, it, with Cal, is it just is it going to be just a pain tolerance thing? What he can handle? The yeah, there's not races? a lot with the you know with the season dwindling. There's really not a lot we can do to to help resolve it. And you know, Cal's tough. He, he keeps you know pushing to get back there. And our you know our take on the matter is as long as he's not doing anything that's going to make the matter worse, you know, or create a long-term issue. And he can tolerate it, and you know, and he continues to ask his way back in, and and uh, and I'd say the same of Gino. You know, he he wants to be out there, and it's a it's been such a tough run with late injuries, and we were so fortunate for so long to not have to deal with it. Now it's our turn, and uh, our turn came at a very difficult time, and hopefully, you know, we built up enough momentum in the in the early going that we can survive this, and and I think we can. Yep. Mm -hmm. cool. yep. yep. All right, that'll do it for this week's Experience Podcast. Big thanks to Larry Stone and Adam Jude for coming on. Uh, thanks to the Mariners for posting that audio, and we will talk to you soon. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.